Hey, welcome everyone to another episode of the John Sterling Show. I am John Sterling, U.S. Army veteran of 13 years, medically retired, and I've been given an amazing opportunity in my post-military career to come alongside an organization called BRC Recovery. Today, I'm sitting here with our guest, Rebecca. Um, I normally give people's first and last names, but uh, I'm going to allow her to, to give that last name for us uh, in, in just a moment. I wanted to make sure everyone knows that uh, this show is all about the BRC Recovery Platform and the hope and the joy and the fulfillment that can come as a result of the recovery process. Um, I have been in this environment for uh, several months ingratiating myself to the people that run this organization and have just been absolutely uh, amazed at the, at the work that they're doing. And in that opportunity, we've created several platforms that allow for the advocacy of veterans in the recovery space, and one of which is what we call the Advocacy Board. And it's simply veterans like uh, myself and like Rebecca coming alongside those we serve to facilitate an experience uh, that we believe is going to be like no other in the country. So with that being said, Rebecca, thank you very much for being with us today. And let's start with that last name. All right. Thank you for having me. I am Rebecca Griganovichus. Um, I am a duly certified family nurse practitioner and psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner. Um, I work at uh, BRC. It's a dual diagnosis drug and alcohol treatment center. Um, and uh, I am in the Navy Reserves Nurse Corps. Excellent. Well, and we're going to find out a lot more about uh, who you are and what you do. What I know about who you are is that you are an individual that has chosen to invest herself in the lives of others. And you have your own story that kind of parallels those you serve. Uh, but I, I wanted to start with something that I love to talk about. And, and it's kind of what gets the ball rolling in a lot of relationships. And that's this factor of trust. So you're minding your own business one day and uh, your curiosity is piqued. Uh, to be a part of this new initiative at BRC, uh, the Military Veterans Program, and even more specifically, to be a part of the uh, advocacy board. And there was somebody that specifically invited you that we're both very fond of to this opportunity, and her name is Mandy Baker. She's the president and chief clinical officer at uh, BRC. Tell me the place that trust played in that offer and that opportunity, because you didn't know me at the time, no, right, Yeah. to to kind of lean into that. Yeah. So um, Mandy just called me and um, she told me kind of where she was thinking of going, where to, you know, spread with BRC. And um, she just asked me if I wanted to be um, a part of this. And I, I do feel that, um, you know, advocacy is the most important thing, mm -hmm. you know, veterans, uh, sometimes get left out in that mm. when dealing with addiction mm. and mental health specifically. So um, I, I trust Mandy and um, I said, yes. Absolutely. No, I, and I, I appreciated that. I needed that conduit. I did not know you. Um, she did. And she's done that with, with many, many people to help facilitate moving this thing forward. So we talked pre podcast, got to know each other a little bit. And one of the things that I wanted to tease out of our conversation was just kind of on a getting a baseline of how you felt prior to looking at this opportunity to more intentionally serve veterans. 
how BRC operated. I'm going to remind you with a quote that you gave me, and, and you can kind of explain that, because I think as a clinician, one, and as a veteran, two, in no particular order, uh, this statement really resonated with me. And so you said that, in essence, BRC is relationship-based, they're intentional, and they help to mitigate the disconnect between veterans and maybe civilians, civilian service providers, and really create um, a space where there probably could have been a lack of trust. Absolutely. Um, trust is very important, especially when, you know, when dealing with anybody, but when dealing with veterans, taking into account, um, you know, different experiences that they've had compared to um, civilians. And they're tends to be a distrust that's already in place from, you know, prior experiences with, um, you know, dealing within the military um, healthcare system. So um, just working on being open and honest with them and really also having them be included in their care plan, you know, um, can, can make a really big difference to help them feel that trust to be able to open up because they have to, or they're not going to make progress. They have to buy into their own wellness. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. So you you said the term them. From what I've heard and what I've experienced and what I've seen, the them is also inclusive of this veteran ecosystem that looks like family. So in the process that you just described, how important is family buy-in and coming alongside that veteran? Because I know there's a You've, you've used the term, and I've had it introduced to be dual diagnosis, yeah. but there's also a dual dynamic Absolutely. with family and those that are going through the treatment. Speak a little bit about that, and then we're going to transition into your story. So um, having family engaged in the treatment process is really just beneficial to help them kind of understand what's going on. You know, you can live with somebody who's... Um, in the military, you can live with somebody who is uh, struggling with addiction, but you may not fully understand it. And so including them and educating them on what is going on um, helps them to also kind of process whatever traumas they've experienced surrounding, you know, um, the addiction and what has occurred. So. Sure. And one of the things we started off by saying was that, that BRC, one of the, the goals nested within the, you know, the clinical outcomes would just be hope and joy. Those things, right? And I, and I tend to get emotional about this when I, when I talk about it, but in my own lived experience, in my own things that have caused me to have separation with my own family, you just want so bad to be understood, right? So from a joy and a hope standpoint, what are the things that you've literally laid your eyes on that you've seen where you see a, a switch that's flipped from an emotional standpoint, from a connection that validates the importance of what you're talking about? Excuse me. So it's hard to really put a finger on when that flip mm. will occur. Um, but when you see it, it, it is very um, a very profound thing to see somebody go from um, just feeling disconnected with themselves to, um, you know, suddenly realizing that they don't have to carry all their baggage around mm. with them. They can put it down and they're, you know, they aren't this bad person. They're human that, um, 
they can let it go and move on. And it, it is a very beautiful thing. And the family's part of that, right? Absolutely. Yeah. That's great. And that's, that's revolutionary. So we're talking about other people now, those people, right? Mm -hmm. Let's talk about Rebecca. So I know you have your own recovery story and we don't have time in the context of this podcast to cover it, but from a standpoint of you understanding everything that just came out of your mouth from a lived experience standpoint, how does the value of the been there, done that, have the t-shirt mentality work to your benefit as a clinician? It's a lack of judgment, right? When you have um, experienced uh, addiction, mm -hmm. um, you know, with people in your life, you are able to not hold it against others, mm. you know, help them process to not look at them like, oh, you're just, you know, just a, an addict. Wow. It's, they're not wow. a person, so. You know, it's interesting. Did you get a little emotional just then? Okay. So, annoying. so so I did too, but guess what? I've been reading a book and this this is something I wasn't even going to say, but it's so true, right? It's a book that's uh been out for several years called What Happened to You. And it's by a person we all know and a and a clinician. And they're just they're getting through our thick skulls that the question is not what's wrong with you? It's what happened, what happened? to you, which then informs and frames that person's life. They only want to be understood. And as I've said about myself and others, people don't act crazy and act a fool, quote unquote, for no reason. Something right. happened. Something happened. Right? And that's really, really, really uh, important. So you have several roles that you play, one of which is uh, reservist in the Navy. Yes. And you recently mentioned to me that... Um, and we're going to have to break down some acronyms for the civilians listening on the call. There's a thing you do called AT Drill, right? Correct. And you said that at the venue that you show up to, you see a lot of things and recognize a lot of things that not that we're throwing anyone under the bus, but you recognize based upon BRC's model and the hope and the joy and the things we're doing could really be utilized and 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 there could be some great benefit, right? It's almost like BRC is this, this hidden gem, you know, uh, out in Maine or Texas that nobody knows Very about. Very much. Right? Yeah. So give me a little bit of meat on the bones when you talk about you go to an AT. This is just your duty to your yeah. country, but you're seeing real life. So um, frequently when going to um, AT, I'm uh, an AT um, is annual training. Like, so we go um, two weeks a year, every year, and then we have drill one weekend a month. So with AT, um, where you go is really going to depend on what you do for the military. So I'm a nurse corps. I'm a psych nurse um, for the Navy. So I, uh, I go to psychiatric facilities, typically inpatient, and um Frequently what you see with people who are struggling with addiction in the military, not just on AT, but kind of across the board with people I've come across, people I met, is it's an inpatient stay, you know, and um, you just aren't going to get the um, involvement with family. You aren't going to get the depth in the groups, the one-on-ones with the counselors. You aren't going to get the... You know, it's just a, it's a very different experience. It's almost, you know, here's your punishment. Go mm. to inpatient psych, um, you know, until you learn to stop drinking and then you go back. 
And so, um, you know, it's like a, a short stay inpatient facility isn't going to teach you the skills that you need to be able to start the process to overcome your uh, your traumas, you know, your whatever you're using your substance to cope with. Right, right. And and that's a that's an interesting paradigm, and it seems like that would just make sense. We we need more than you know uh, lock up for what it's worth. You know, we don't we don't want to put people in a situation where they feel further disconnected and isolated. Um, and I, and I know, you know, from my personal experience, I had an opportunity to do an IOP with a well-known organization. Um, and, and I had interaction with other, uh, clients slash patients, but my family was nowhere to be found. And that wasn't because, um, they weren't offered the opportunity. It's just, that wasn't a possibility in my situation. And I know how much that would have, that would have made a difference. Um, and so as a clinician at BRC, as we lean into a model that is more holistic and more family orientated, um, give me one example of something that you've seen and experienced from that offering that BRC allows people to go through the healing process with that it wouldn't be found typically uh, maybe in a in a in a strictly veteran setting. And again, we're not judging; we're just evaluating the reality of the experience and how do you how do you see brc's opportunity really leaning into that and what are the outcomes you've seen so really with with family involvement um is getting them to understand what's going on um having them you know maybe attend al-anon or just even you know trying to explain what what is being presented mm. is not, you know, something against the family or, you know, um, but we see with um, when that family gets involved and they actually start actively doing things like, you know, maybe they're going to go and see their own therapist. They start communicating what they're seeing with um, the the therapists or myself and um, the communication with the client will start to change as mm. well. Um, where you see instead of like, you know, you need to go here or we're going to get a divorce, um, it becomes more of a, okay, we're going to work on this. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to stop drinking with my girls too. You know, you see that, um, that togetherness to help them through this process. I love that. And and to me, there's one word that kind of overarches. It's communication. We, we, right. We give people the opportunity uh, to actually engage one another. That, that's, that's powerful. And I've seen that. Uh, I've seen that and I've experienced it. So another comment that you made during our conversations was that you believe, and this is, this is a heart thing, right? You believe in what BRC is doing and the counseling aspect of what they're doing. Your words is phenomenal. Absolutely. Uh, It is absolutely phenomenal. I see it again and again, you know, like I said, I've been there three years and with, um, you know, even the people who are only there 28 days to the people who were there for four months to see that, um, process and change. It is, it's a group effort, you know, everyone has to be involved and it's, it is, it is beautiful to see. You see somebody come in broken and low and see what comes out on the other side is, it's pretty, that's awesome. That's awesome. No, it is. So, we're talking about the generalities of how BRC operates. And I was in a conversation with a 
veteran that had gone through BRC's program and is now 10 years sober. So congratulations to that, that young man. Um, but I asked him, I said, when you came to BRC, why was it a good fit for you as a veteran? And what are the things you see that are already in place, the things that are that BRC is doing really well that are conducive to military mindsets? And one of the things he threw out immediately was structure. Right. And you would concur. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. How do you see the structure of BRC being something that anyone that has spent a day in the military, hopefully a lot longer than that, uh, gravitating to? And, and why would you think that that would be as a clinician something that would be very gratifying to you to know that this is the environment that your clients are hanging out in? Um, the structure really provides um, a safety from the chaos is kind of how I. I look at it, you know that certain things are going to happen at certain times and they need to be done a certain way. So you are able to not devote the brain energy to figuring that stuff out and you can instead focus on what you need to do because the structure becomes kind of rote, you know, mm. muscle memory. Right. So That's excellent. So you said the counselors, and I'm, I'm just going to assume from what I've seen as well, the staff in general just an amazing group of people. And I was talking to somebody else um, in one of the facilities, and, I, and I, I just threw out the question as we were kind of introducing the opportunity for this more intentional veterans initiative. And I, and I had several gentlemen and a couple ladies in front of me, and I said, so what is the bottom line um, with regard to the word authenticity that makes a difference in outcomes. And one of the gentlemen specifically spoke up and the others agreed. I'm going to see if you concur as well. So at the end of the day, we have different segments, cohorts, groups of people, right? And we, we like to think we can tailor our things to them and who they are. But at the end of the day, aren't everyone just humans? Yeah. At the end of the day. At the end of the day, yeah. Right? So give me an encouragement. If I'm a person you're talking to that maybe is, does not have the military background you do, does not feel like he, he or she can walk in the room full of veterans and be, you know, be heard, right? If the human part is really what matters, what, when you engage people from your side of the table, which is the clinical side of the table, which could be intimidating, how does that human element play a really, really important part? How would you encourage someone that, hey, it doesn't matter if they're a vet, doesn't matter if they're this, that, or the other, do you and be human? Yeah. Um, you know, I probably would say it a lot more um, laid back, but just reminding um, people that it's okay, right? We we are human. We make mistakes. We screw up, right? And Absolutely. it doesn't matter who's who's sitting in there just share your story here, theirs, and you may find a common ground that you weren't even aware of. Mm. That's that's huge. And I think the, the, the other word that I love to use around conversations and therapeutic environments is just is vulnerability. But I know that as a clinician, there's lines that we have to draw um, with that. Um, I'm thinking of leadership, and one of the hallmarks of leadership 
as being authentic and vulnerable, right? Um, can you think of anybody that has served as a leader in this space in your life that has exemplified authenticity and vulnerability, or perhaps maybe those are things that you strive to lean into and, and the difference that that can make? Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of like good examples of not seeing it. Um, it's, it is something to strive for. Um, I'm trying, I can't think of like a specific example, but you see it all the time where, um, people, uh, present a face, Mm. present a mask because they don't want you to, uh, see how they feel, uh, see what they really mean. Um, so working at just being, I don't know, I'm comfortable in my own skin. And so it's just easier, um, to be that. Right. Even if it's kind of goofy. Right. And clunky and uncomfortable. Right. Yeah. And so that is a process. That's a process. And I think in the recovery space, there's so much that we're trying to cover up uh, that it it, it takes practice. Right. It takes practice. But I think going back to, you know, what we were talking about before, what a liberation and what a level of joy and freedom that an environment uh, like BRC provides, because we what we know and what I've experienced is that the military infrastructure provides an insulation away from that yeah. and your that facade yeah. whether the facade is the phys, excuse me the physical uniform or that space a little bit smaller called the rank right. or some of these things on the uniform that says ooh look what I've done so we could just let people make assumptions all day long about how cool and impenetrable yeah. we are right and i think in my life, and, and I've not, you know, been in the recovery space. I'm not a card-carrying member of the recovery space, but I was a non-commissioned officer for over a decade. And the men and women in a formation or in a small group that made the difference to me were the people that were willing to say, yeah, you know what? Whatever this is, don't believe it. There's a heart behind the rank that is bleeding And, you know, when I think of those kinds of people, I've categorically seen them and been introduced to them at BRC, frankly. Um, We can return back to, you know, the tip of the spear, Mandy Baker, um, other individuals that are peripheral to her that seem to have arrived at that point where um, if there is a mask, it doesn't stay on very long. And frankly, they'd rather operate outside of that mask and step from behind it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Huge, huge. I think one of the the big things um, that has like stuck with me with um, BRC is um, just people laughing, hearing people laughing um, and with joy, you know, it. Uh, it's when you know you're, you're surrounded by people who care, you know? No, you're, you're right. You know, it's funny you mentioned that. I, again, getting my introduction and baptism into this space, there was some um, recovery humor that I didn't know if I should laugh or not. <laughs> I mean, it got really interesting. And I'm sitting around a table of people that I'm maybe one of two or three that doesn't get the punchline. Yeah. But what I understood was that respectfully poking fun at oneself through a lens of recovery is the difference. 
is, yeah. is really the difference. And, and I even look at my own life. There are certainly areas in my life where, and I, and I know that even from a military standpoint, just thinking about missions and things we do where there is mistakes and errors, what, what are we doing after we get back, you know, uh, we're laughing about them, you know, as long as no one lost their life, you know, yeah. ultimately, right? So uh, interesting. So I want to talk about some words that are really important to veterans, and they are an acronym. We love acronyms, right? Mm-hmm. But it encompasses a word called TEAM. So we're going to go through T-E-A-M, and there's every one of those letters is associated with a word. But in the context of, of TEAM, just whatever comes to your mind in the recovery space, the people you work with, even your family, how important is it to you and the people you serve to know definitively that a team exists? It makes a world of difference. Um, just knowing that if I have a question, I have somebody that I can lean on. And if they have a question, I'm there for them. It definitely creates a, a, a comfort um, to know that people have your back. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the, the first word with the letter T is transition. What do you think about when you think about the word transition? Mm, um, transitioning. It's like a, like a phoenix, right? You go from um, uh, burning pain to something beautiful mm. and alive. So, And transition involves movement. Absolutely. Transition involves ambiguity. Mm-hmm. Can involve some discomfort. There you go. Some growth. There you some go. Beautiful, beautiful thing. There you go. And and I think to the degree that we we nest an idea like transition into team, we can then lean into yeah, your your transition and who you are and where you're going, but other people's as well. So outside of a, a clinical wearing your clinical hat. When you think of people and you meet people, right, often for the first time, it's fairly safe to say the assumption is that they're going through a transition. I mean, in your line of work, right? Absolutely. But aren't we all, right? Absolutely. I went through a transition this morning, as dumb as it may seem, to where I stepped out of bed and realized, oh, my carpet is wet in this apartment or this uh, hotel, right? Well, not only am I transitioning my mindset to you know, happy versus not so, but I'm, I know I'm about to transition to another room, right? right? First world problems. But when we're talking about the recovery space, this idea of transition um, is critical. And, and, and let me ask you this, because I've heard, I heard this from people that are transitioning out of the military, right? Is it a one and done or is this like... It's a process. Okay. Yeah. Tell me about that. So it's a little bit different for everybody. Right. Um, some people kind of process through it a little bit faster, um, steps forward, steps back, steps forward again. Um, other people seem to catch the swing of it um, a little bit faster. But yeah, it's a, it's a process. You have to be within the recovery uh, field, uh, comfortable with yourself. You have to lean into your community. You need that support when you get out of treatment. And um, sometimes there's hiccups, right? Any life transitions. That's, I really like to touch on that with my uh, with my clients. Um, you know, getting a new job, changes in relationship status, um, you know, all of that is a, a transition. And so having 
uh, supportive community with you to lean into during that process is really what keeps people on the path that they have wanted to create for themselves. Would you say you are still personally in transition within that context? I feel like we should always kind of be Ooh, in okay. some sort of transition. Otherwise, life is stagnant. There should always be something, you know, ripples and eddies in the current of life. So Wow. No, I love that. And that, to me, um, I'm not about to ask you how old you are, but you're old enough to know the difference of that statement, right? Like sedentary and still might not be the best answer. No. No, sounds boring. It sounds boring, and and I, I like to talk about evolving. Um, I like to talk about pivoting, uh, and those are things that if we are on a road that we may have to do, whether it's by choice or force. We, yeah. we, we hear the, the term in the military, voluntold. <laughs> you might get told, and told might look like uh, a significant other saying, not feeling that anymore. Yeah. Or a job that was here one day, gone the next. Yep. Or a decision that looked like it was good and it was absolutely horrible, right? And so what I what I love about your answer is you you've literally you've you've taken the clinical hat off and you've kept it off and you've turned into a human, right? Which I think is really really important. Um in the military, we have a hard time seeing, you know, um the the name tag without associating with the rank, right? right? And we can't keep it 100. We can't keep it real. We can't be a sergeant major or a colonel or a captain uh, and a human. Yeah. It's 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 counterintuitive. So I really appreciate that, and it tells me that you have a philosophy of leaning into that human side of it, and I think largely because you've you've been there. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. E, empowerment. I use that term right off the from the jump. I said we're powered by BRC Recovery, but really what I feel like is we're empowered. Have you been empowered before? Absolutely. What does that look like? I think it's more like what it feels okay, like. Okay, well, that was my next question, and I'm going to let you <laughs> jump to that. We're going to go back to look, but go ahead yeah. and feel. Um, it feels like uh, you can do it. If you put your your mind to it and you know that you have um, support behind you, or even if you don't, you still know that you are going to attain what it is that you are um, seeking. Right. So it's a, I don't know, it's a feeling. So so what is the feeling, though? Is it because I, I know what despair and desperation looks like and the opposites of joy and hope. What, is that, what does that feel like? It's bubbly and exciting. Mm. Bubbly and exciting. Is it unexpected sometimes? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You can't seek it. Mm. It just comes. So I think where I was going with the what does it look like? Sometimes it looks like another human being. And it's action. And it's if I say that I've got your back, let me show you. Yeah. And there's a difference, right? Absolutely. There's a difference. In the recovery space, when you think someone's got your back... And again, you can't, you know, carry that baggage forever. Oh, someone let me down. I'm just going to just ride that into the sunset. But it that matters, right? Absolutely. That matters. So as a clinician, you're paid to have people's back, right? In a certain environment. 
on a certain level that can be looked at. That's your job. You should yeah. be yeah. okay. But what is what's that fine line that you've experienced where people know no, she, Rebecca G has my back, not the clinician. It's it's listening to what people are saying instead of just having somebody come in and telling them what medications are going to be or, you know, what the next step is, but listening and getting that, that feedback um, and having them active and engaged in it and then following up with them. It may be something as simple as, um, you know, they're walking in the morning and you're like, Hey, how are you? Is that you feeling okay with that change? You know, can't violate their HIPAA with people around, but just checking in, Mm. Um, I hear again and again with clients about, you know, they just come in and they're like, yeah, you know, this medication isn't working for me, but um, it's fine. Well, what do you mean it's fine? That's like what we're here for. Like, let's, what's not fine? Wow. Tell me, I'm going to dig. I'm going to be invasive. I need to know what's not fine about it so we can fix it together. And um, yeah, that. Wow. That's next level. And so we can fix it together. So I'm putting on my gloves, I'm grabbing the tools necessary, and we are going to get busy. Yep, get your gloves on. We're ready. Wow. We. We yeah. before me. That's, yeah, that's that's 100% where I was headed with that. And, and, I, and I realize in my own life, um, because one of the reasons that you're at this table and we're at this table is because we have leadership opportunities, Right. And and the leadership space largely is void of empowerment because people think we got our stuff together. Well, she's the clinician. She, what does she need? Or or you know, John, he does this or that other. No, I need empowerment. I need to be empowered. I need to be told, hey, I'll help you. I don't have all the answers, and I think that's that's what you're in essence doing. You're the clinician, but you need the investment and the wisdom of the person this conversation is about. So you're bringing them right alongside okay. you. And that's that's got to be, talk about a feeling for both parties and the families. Yeah. When they see that, right? Same on the, yep. yep. Game changer. And you've seen that, right? More times than I can count. And you can't fake that funk, right? That's not no. something, right? No. <laughs> no. It either is or it yeah. isn't, yeah. right? That's awesome. That's awesome. So the next word kind of goes hand in hand with, with empowerment, but it's also part and parcel of the conversation we've been having with this new initiative. I've created a board called the Advocacy Board, specifically uh, a different purpose uh, and feel behind what would be traditionally an advisory board. Advocates are going to put their gloves on. They're going to get dirty. They're going to invest themselves. And again, I'll ask you, when you think of an advocate, what are the, what's the framework? Like if, if you're an advocate for a child, let's say, let's, let's use some of the, the, the lowest hanging fruit, easy example, might be a little bit helpless, can't do. What does an advocate do in that environment? What, what are you able to do? Broadly, it's um, about seeking what is going to be in their best interest. Mm -hmm. Um it, you know, use it, like I said, a child, right? Um, even if it's uncomfortable for you. Mm. Wow. 
That's interesting. So advocacy is a choice that we make for the benefit of someone else, even though it might not be particularly comfortable or in our wheelhouse, right? And so what I've heard in this environment at BRC, I've heard it in other environments, is that you deal with people that visually look like adults because guess what? They are. But the ability to execute and do certain things based on where they're at is more like you are being introduced to teenager, right? Yeah. yeah. And they need your advocacy. I remember um, in the work that I've done, I've been approached several times, and this is some of the most helpless positions people feel in life when you're dealing with law enforcement and what's about to happen and getting asked to write a letter to a judge so that that thing doesn't happen. And you talk about feeling inadequate. Like I was like, who am I? I'm going to write a letter and that's going to change something. And I'm thinking of three specific people and I know the outcomes of two of the three. Matter of fact, I'm thinking of four, three of the four, it mattered. And that's not a me thing. That's being willing like you said, to step foot into an environment that you don't necessarily know what's going to happen the minute you put your full weight down. Yep. Right? Absolutely. But but tell me when you determine from a from an emotional and a relationship standpoint when you determine not knowing and not being able to guarantee outcomes even if the outcome is less than optimal. What is the relational glue that is put in place with another human being when they know you were at least willing to go there? It's trust. It's a, it's a big amount of trust to have somebody be able to ask you for help when they're low. Wow. To provide it. So wow. follow through. Follow through. Follow through with that. And the reciprocal of that, I know how I am. Doesn't it make you want to look, well, I never want to look in a mirror, but doesn't it force you to look in a mirror and say, how good am I at asking for help? Oh, yeah. No, not good at all. Not good at all. Right? Yeah. And so so those we serve end up serving us by creating an environment where we have to reflect. Yeah. And we have to be a lot more self-aware. And I'm finding that the, the more people I talk to in several leadership environments, um, that that notion of self-awareness is is a really, really, really big deal. And it allows us, once we know who we really are, to be even more joyful and hopeful about, you know, what's possible. So the M and team mindset, and this is tricky. It doesn't have to be crazy or mystical, but it's just the idea that even telling somebody because you've been there and knew what desperation and desolation and no hope looked like, you now can say, my mind tells me clearly that you are capable of this, right? And and, and superimposing a mindset on somebody. But sometimes a mindset also looks like, you know, talking and action and counseling. But when you think of a mindset, can you, can you fairly quickly hearken back to a time when Rebecca's mindset was not allowing her to do 
very much at all because she just didn't believe in herself? Yeah, it was a while ago. I've um, made a lot of uh, steps not to be, it's not a comfortable space to be in. Mm. So um, not allowing myself to go back to that mindset is important. It really is, a, um, you have to tell yourself, you have to tell you what you believe before mm. you actually believe it. You know, and and give those words power. Is there anything practically that you do? Because I know that I'm a on a on a on a good week, on a good day. It's got to be days. I spend time in solitude, in silence, in mindfulness, in meditation. I train my mind, um, and that's not spooky or weird. It's just I just I'm still as opposed to letting my mind control the show. Um, what is, what is your, what are some tools that you've used in the past? What is the practice? What are the things that maybe it's just being in front of the right people in the right situations that, that allow you to not go back? Um, drive, right. Not wanting to go back, but really it's the, um, just focusing on breathing and what my intentions are and putting my intentions out, out into the universe. Out there. Yeah. Just put it out there. Yeah. So that's my, um, and you can do that anywhere, you know, that's like, right. No, absolutely. Drive, you know, that's right. Driving in traffic on that's the way right. here. Just sometimes it's my, valuable, right? Uh, it's so because <laughs> it's, it's just calming mind, calming, right. physically calming. Right. So, so we just said the same thing. You, yeah. you, 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 you talked about intent and, um, yeah, and, and that's exactly right. And I, and I think though, that sounds about like what people would expect us to say, right? Right. It does. But how hard is that as a pragmatic daily practice? Right. So I, I like to tell people, um, you didn't go from sitting to running, right? You you fell, you stood up, you wobbled. That's how practicing um, putting out the positive intentions is going to feel. You're going to feel dumb. You're going to, you know, you just have to keep doing it until it becomes comfortable. And it takes time. And there can, you know, be setbacks. And that's okay. You just remind yourself, like, um, a little bit of negativity is trying to catch up. That's right. Leave that behind me and keep going. So, are you at a point? Because I know I am. Are you at a point where you know and you can feel it in your body and in the relationships and your environment when you're not doing that? Does things change when you try to take control or try to do something different? I I try to actively uh, not do that, but yeah, you can feel tension. lurking and creeping so right i i try not to it's i don't like i don't like being in that space that's right no that that's 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 powerful um and and i think that's why you're basically providing an alternate reality to when we don't want to be in that space well that's where self-medication and the other things that are not so good come into play so what you're doing is saying this is what i do i do the same thing right but i'm not batting a thousand right yeah under any circumstance right but what i love and what i'm hoping the people that listen to us uh, will hear is a camaraderie in human frailty, in not perfect, in the opportunity to say, okay, wow, she just said, if you don't do it, you know, right. People talk about meditating and mindfulness and I don't, I can't do it right. What's that mean? Yeah. There's no such thing. It's just, just 
do what, it. And what is right. That's correct, right? And to hear that that dialogue. Uh, so I, I really, really appreciate that. Um, let's pivot and wind down with another acronym that I made. And it's like, you know, you go through your military career and you hate these acronyms and you ask people what half of them mean and they don't even know. They say them, right? But this is easy. This is win. And it came to my attention that at the end of the day, people like to be winners. And that is not in a haughty, braggadocious way. It's we like to come out on the other side of the ledger with a with an achievement, right? Um, no, not everyone gets a, a trophy. Not everyone gets a ribbon. But as advocates, um, which you have so graciously offered yourself to in the context of BRC to our advocacy board, um, we want to help people win, right? And it's it's as simple as, as the three things we're going to talk about. But I think you have a unique purview on these because of your placement within that institution um, as a, a care provider, as a professional, as a veteran. Um, and it's the idea that we want to be able to welcome people, inspire people, and help them to navigate. And those are huge. Again, those are not just, okay, welcome, done, inspired, done. Here's a few navigation <laughs> tips, done, no, right? Yeah. We're in it, right? Gloves are on, right? Yeah. So if, if you're thinking about BRC right now, and this may not be any different than what you do right now, uh, currently, because you seem to be fairly squared away in, in, in your thought process of how you deal with human beings, right? And that's who we are before we're veterans or anybody else. But let's talk specifically in the veteran mindset. What does welcoming a veteran mean to Rebecca as it regards the BRC experience? I think it's just um, really I um, I don't wear a coat. I don't wear, you know, um, anything formal to show that I'm a nurse practitioner. I always introduce myself as Rebecca, not, you know, by my last name, obviously. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, it's really just um, I like to introduce myself, let people know who I am and what I do and what I'm there for them to, you know, to help them with, to provide with them. So yeah, absolutely. Just being, I don't know, being myself. Laugh. Right. And, and <laughs> the, the fortunate part about that welcome is that the BRC campuses, the environments, they are self welcoming, yeah, right? Absolutely. You can't be in a bad mood. You know, I guess you can, I'm sure you've seen people that come with a bad mood, but you're only reinforcing hope and joy and st the stigma. Just drop the bags. Right, yeah. we've we've got as many people here as you got bags, right? And we we will carry those for you. So I, I love that, and and what I love is the authenticity. And I would say that um, even for myself, you know, as a a parallel um, part of the the BRC uh, experience, helping to bring this military veterans program to a point where we can really start uh, intentionally reaching out to the community. I've felt that welcome. And so I, I, I'm thinking to myself, well, if this is what I got, this is this is great. It's just like the gentleman that I spoke with before that talked about the infrastructure and the structure within the infrastructure that allowed for a positive 
natural veteran experience, right? That welcome. So I, I really appreciate that. And again, I don't know how often you tear up with clients or people you talk to, but you've done it like multiple times. And, it, now and then. I love it. I love it because it tells me that I'm looking right through your blue eyes into your soul and I'm getting it. Yeah. I'm getting you, which is what people want, right? They don't, Absolutely. they want you, right? So with regard to inspiration, we want to help them in, to be inspired, right? And, and maybe, again, people may not be stepping on the campus saying, yeah, inspire me. You know, how about get the <laughs> hell away from me, you know? Right, right. <laughs> or whatever. 100%. But how do we do that in the context, authentically inspire people to, to, to remind them that they're, they're at the right place? I think it's just um, being a positive example, you know, just um, showing them through being who you are, what they can achieve, you know, that, that peace, that happiness, that joy you know, it's not a clinical setting. It's not, you know, white walls and stainless steel. It's, um, you know, here we are together experiencing this. Mm. So mm. come experience it. Absolutely. And it, it is an experience. Let me tell you, I'm assuming that you've seen, and again, there's no, you know, set criteria for how it goes down, but you've seen the process of inspiration. You've seen people right absolutely yeah that have that have 100 percent experienced that right this is not a question i was planning on asking but i think there's some responsibility from the people that step foot on a campus like that there's responsibility for people that step inside of a 24-hour fitness if they want to get right they got to be they got to be bought in right, right. so we can inspire, but what is the responsibility, assuming we've got an authentic, caring, capable individual like Rebecca on the other side of that conversation? What's the responsibility? Because um, we can only inspire so much. You can only do – what's the responsibility of the recipient of that? Well, in the beginning, the responsibility is just to be there, right? That's the, the first step, just being there. Um everything else will come just mm. being, you know, if they're open to it, mm. it doesn't, yeah, we say buy-in, but, um, it just comes mm. when you feel it, you, mm. you see it, you're seeing it. How could you not want to be a part of that? Mm. Wow. That's awesome. And, and then this last part, this is the long haul stuff. This is the I'm here now, and who knows where I'm going to be six months from now. Frankly, I can't even entertain that thought because I'm I'm just I can only deal with right what's in front of me, right? But this idea of navigating. When I think of navigating, I go back to my military training. Um, and matter of fact, my company, Azimuth Leadership, is a direct reflection of a compass and something that we shoot. We call shooting an azimuth, right? A straight shot north. Um, and I think of those land navigation days and one of the tools we have is the idea that you shoot your azimuth in the direction you want to go and you start walking in that direction, but you have to pick your head up every so often because you will naturally disorient, right? You'll wander. And boy, if that wasn't true, I thought I could walk a straight line. Well, in the middle of the forest, a straight line's relative. <laughs> right. <laughs> right? It's all a straight line. It's yeah. all a straight line, right? And all of a sudden, 
you know, six degrees of separation turns into 60 and you're hollering and no one can hear you, right? Metaphor for recovery. In navigation and helping people navigate, got to keep your head up. Absolutely. The propensity and the natural tendency is for people to look down. That could be a shame thing. That could be a confusion thing. That could be a physical, and I'm just, I'm not the clinician, so I'm just guessing, right? I know about the shame. I know about the confusion. But sometimes I would think some people literally are physically in a condition where they might be able to keep their head up. They're, they just need a bed. They need, but they still metaphorically need to keep their head up. And so as as they're keeping their head up and they're looking maybe at a clinician, at a peer, at their family as the goal. Okay, that if I'm going towards that, that's north. How do you speak to that from your own lived experience on keeping your head up and navigating as you're going through the process with these people who come in with that literal and figurative posture? I um, I always like to kind of use the analogy that uh, sometimes the goal that we want, uh, fear is what keeps us from looking at it, right? We, we don't want to address those issues. Um, so I like to use the monster under the bed analogy. Mm. Um, when you're little, you know there's something under there, right? And you're too scared to look. And so it grows into this big thing. And then one day you grab your flashlight and you look and there's nothing down there. It's the same thing. That fear is keeping you from going the way that you want. Just face the fear. It's going to be uncomfortable for mm. a minute, but it's not going to be at all what you thought it was. Mm. Wow. Monster under the bed. I love that. That is that is phenomenal. And the other thing I'll say about fear that I've heard said many, many, many times is that fear is embedded with ambiguity and the unknown. So certainly, if I've got my head down, I'm not situationally aware of what's really happening. Yeah. You can see what's in front of you. That right. That looks the same. Right. And, and there's some value to the one step, you know, one foot in front of the other theory. But as humans, we're scanning for situational awareness, context. And I think sometimes when you have uh, a Rebecca at the other end of that optic or you have uh, just an organization or I'm just thinking about literally pulling up outside of um, the offices in, in Manor of, of, of the BRC property and just the visual, the optic that in and of itself is hope and healing and the people that are around you and the laughter that you yeah. hear, the voices, the people that you know are in a very, very close relationship with the notion of broken, yet they're continuing to move forward. Um, and so with that, I, you know, this has been an amazing conversation, um, as I told you it would be. Um, and I, I really want to thank you for allowing me to draw from your emotion. Um, I'm not sure I want to thank you for drawing mine out, but <laughs> I'm human. We're good. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, it was it was amazing. And, and to those listening, um, we have a, a deep desire 
for um, this very environment. It's conversation. It's a, the opportunity to discover ourselves, to know ourselves better, to become better, and to have that hope um, and the profound understanding that better things are on the other side of the horizon. So, Rebecca, you've just really helped me to articulate that in the context of BRC. Thank you for your service both to our country. Thank you for uh, your service to those uh, that are in this space. And uh, we look forward to, and I look forward to specifically working together to make some great things happen. Thank you. Thank you. So again, thank you for being part of this last episode of uh, the John Sterling Show, and we will look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks. Yeah.